You can have a seat. Good morning, Harvest. Uh, if you're visiting with us this morning, my name is Andrew Watkins. I have the, the privilege of serving here at Harvest Annapolis as an associate pastor. And, and really, whether you're joining us in person this morning and you're in the room or you're tuning in online, we are just so, so thankful that you have chosen to spend part of your Sunday morning with us. It is our privilege to get to know you and to serve you. And so we would love to connect with you service. Uh, if you are visiting, we've got a gift for you in the back, and we would love to, to meet you back there and connect. Uh, but let's go ahead and get into God's Word together this morning. Uh, so if you would, go ahead and grab your Bibles or your phones or whatever it is that you tend to use to get your eyes on God's Word. And this morning, I would invite you to meet me in Acts chapter 2. We're going to be in Acts chapter 2 this morning as we continue our From Start to Sent sermon series where we're moving all the way through the Christian life from the very beginning through the maturing process all the way to the point where we'll get to where we're disciples who make disciples who make disciples who make disciples. Like that's the goal, right? And we've already already seen conversion, the beginning of the Christian life, and then we've looked at at walking with Christ. We've looked at working for Christ. Now this morning as we're crossing the halfway point through our series, we're going to look at a very a, pa- a topic I'm very passionate about. Uh, maybe it's because I'm a nerd. I, I get it. Maybe, uh, but church membership. We're going to look at that this morning, and, and, and really because everything flows through the church. And so, uh, even if you don't have a Bible with us this morning, I would still invite you to, to meet, find your way to Acts chapter two. Somehow, there's a couple ways you could do that. Uh, you could just pull out a phone and Google Acts chapter two, and uh, technology is awesome, so it should just come right up for you. And we'll be in the ESV version. Or if you would prefer a paper copy of God's Word, we have some in the back uh, that we would love for you to use. And if you don't have one at, at all, we would just love for you to take that and keep it as our gift to you. Uh, but Acts chapter 2 this morning, and uh, if you're already there or if you're still turning there, let's just stop and, and pause and pray for our time together in God's Word this morning. Uh, Father, we, uh, we are so grateful for the privilege to worship you this morning. It is our heart that you would be magnified uh, because you are worthy And uh, as we just sang through that last song, you are such a faithful God who uh, is worthy of all that we could give you. And now as we turn to your word, Father, we we believe that every word of of Scripture is inerrant and inspired by your Holy Spirit and is profitable for our doctrine and for our proof and training in righteousness. And so our prayer now as we come to your word is that you would uh, be present and moving among us to challenge us and to encourage us, to equip us but ultimately to make us look more like your son, Jesus Christ, Father. That's our prayer this morning. And so we just ask all of that in Jesus' name. Amen. So church membership, those two words put together, uh, have the ability to cause uh, somewhat of a strong reaction in some of our minds. And I'll go ahead and address the elephant in the room. That for, for some of us, maybe the words church membership, for maybe that reaction in your mind isn't always a positive reaction. See, in general, we live in a a culture that runs from all kinds of commitment. So maybe the idea of committing yourself to a particular people in a particular place, maybe maybe that scares you a little bit. Maybe because you have places to be and things to do, people to see. And so maybe maybe the idea of the church, that, that might get in the way of some of that. Maybe you've been burned in the past. Maybe it was the church that you grew up in or the, the church you got married in or maybe a church that you committed to somewhere along the, le- the way with, with all of the hope and optimism and excitement in the world, but then something happened. Somebody did something or somebody said something or somebody took something or somebody changed something and you got hurt. And so you said, never again. You know, I'll go and I'll, I'll sit there and I'll, I'll kind of be around, but you know what? I'm keeping my car running in the parking lot because if something happens, I'm gone. Like, that's it. I, I'm not going to allow myself to get hurt again. Listen, church, church hurt's real. 
I've experienced that even as a pastor in previous places. And so, so I acknowledge that. And, and if that's you this morning, if you've experienced that, I'm so sorry that you have experienced that. Maybe you just don't get the point of church membership. You, you've heard people mention it in the past, but, but you're not even sure if it's biblical because you've done all of the studies and, you, will, and you, you say, well, I've never found the words church and membership next to each other anywhere in the Bible. And so, so you know, I'm not even sure if it's real. Or you're hesitant because nobody's ever really taken the time to explain to you the point of why membership matters. And so you just don't see the value of it. So maybe you view the church membership thing as just another membership card to keep in your wallet just next to your, your library card and your Sam's Club card and your Safeway card and your Planet Fitness card and your AAA membership card so, so that when something happens and when you need the library book or the discount or the tow truck or, or whatever it is you need, you can just pull out the card and, and get what you want when you need it and then stuff it back behind your license somewhere until you need it again in a few months and, and that, that, that's it. Maybe that's how you view membership, but that's, that's not the point of church membership. That's not how it works. So I believe with all my heart that the topic of local church membership is one of the most important topics of the Christian life. And at, time, at the same time, it's one of the most important topics. I think it's also one of the most misunderstood. And in fact, it's one of the most important, not because it saves you, because it doesn't. It's, it's one of the most important, not because you get some special standing before God because of it, because you won't. It's important because scripture teaches us that the church is God's plan A, both for, for his mission and for our discipleship, and there is no plan B. And so that's why if you look at the From Start to Descent discipleship pathway chart that we, we handed out last week, you'll notice that, that everything runs through the church. Like there's no way around it. You can't avoid it. Everything runs through the church in the Christian life. And yes, it's true that you won't find the phrase church membership anywhere in the Bible, but here's the thing. You won't find the word Trinity either. But just because that doesn't happen doesn't mean it's not true. Like we see the Trinity all throughout the pages of scripture, even though if you look for the word Trinity, you won't find it. And just that same way, you will find the topic of church membership all the way through the New Testament, even though you will never find those, that phrase appearing. The New Testament knows nothing of free agent Christians. There's no such thing as a follower of Christ who just drifts through life only casually associated with the body of Christ at best or completely unattached at worst. You won't find it in, in scripture. And so if you're taking notes this morning, here's our big idea. Here's what I want us to see from Acts chapter two this morning. Our big idea this morning is this. Healthy church members commit themselves to living as those who have been called out and called together by God. Again, healthy church members commit themselves to living as those who have been called out and called together by God. See, if we're going to properly understand and rightly value church membership, we're going to have to answer some questions. We're going to have to answer questions like, what is a church? And what do church members do anyway? What is, what is the point? And if we can answer those questions from the pages of Scripture, we'll understand why membership matters and what better place to study the church than the very birth of the church in Acts chapter 2. Go all the way back to the beginning. And as we, as we do that, we'll, we'll see two realities this morning. Here's the first reality I want us to see. Reality number one is that a church is God's called out ones. A church is God's called out ones. If you have your Bibles open to Acts chapter 2, I invite you to look with me at verses 36 through 41 of Acts chapter 2. Here's what it says. Peter's preaching here at the beginning and he says, Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? 
Peter said to them, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and your children and for all those who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them saying, save yourselves from this crooked generation. And so those who received his word were baptized and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. You know, I don't think I've ever heard a birth story that wasn't at least somewhat dramatic and, and the birth of the church is really no different. So before Jesus ascended back to heaven after his resurrection, he was talking to his disciples and he told them, listen, don't do anything until you receive the Holy Spirit. He's basically like, just wait, don't do anything. And then when the Holy Spirit comes, you will receive power and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and all Samaria and all the way to the ends of the earth. So they waited and they prayed and they waited and they prayed and then they waited some more. And then when the Holy Spirit did come on the day of Pentecost, it filled them and they did receive power and they did receive boldness and they did become his witnesses. So on the day of Pentecost, then Peter goes outside. This is the beginning of Acts chapter two. And he goes outside and he stands up to preach to a crowd of people from all over the world. And in case you're wondering what the big idea of his sermon was, he tells us, all the way in here in verse 36, where he says, let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain, this is the big idea, that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. And as Peter was preaching, the Holy Spirit was working because the text says they were cut to the heart. They were convicted and they were ready to respond to the point where, where the people listening to Peter preach and as, as the Holy Spirit's working, they just cry out, what do we do? What are our next steps, Peter? What, what can we do next? How can we be saved? The church was being born in this moment. Again, the, church, the, the word church doesn't show up here, but, but this is the birth of the church. And the Greek word for church is ecclesia, which literally means called out ones. It's the saved ones, the separated ones, the, the called out ones. A church is God's called out ones. And in verses 36 through 41 that we just read, we literally see the calling out process as it's happening. The crowds ask Peter, what do we do now? And as he answers them and as they respond, we learn about what it means to be a healthy church member right as the church was being born. And so in these, these few verses that we just read, we see four statements that healthy church members can make. And so let's take a look at those statements this morning. So first, healthy church members can say, I have been saved by God's grace. That's the first statement that they can make. See, salvation by grace through faith in Jesus Christ is the bedrock of the church. Jesus is the cornerstone of the church. We're told that elsewhere in the scriptures. But listen, there's a lot of places you can go in the world to find community. There are a lot of places you can go. I mean, so many of you have served and are serving in our nation's military. And so you know that there's a deep, committed brotherhood and sisterhood in the military, even if there is a little bit of sibling rivalry, like go army, beat Navy. I'm all, I'm all inside army here. But you know that there's a, a deep, committed brotherhood here. Whether it's through the thrill of victory or the, the agony of defeat, any of you who are sports fans, some of us are more on the agony of defeat side, but, but those of you who are sports fans know that you can find a sense of community with people who share your team, right? You can go on vacation, you can move somewhere, and if you find someone wearing your gear in another state, like it's immediate brotherhood. Like I understand either the victory or the defeat that you've experienced in life. Right in that moment, we experience brotherhood. There are a lot of places that you can go in life and turn to to find community 
but there's only one place that will offer you anything eternal, and that's the church. The church is bonded together as those who have been saved by God's grace through faith in Jesus Christ. They've been called out by God. They're the called out ones. And that's where Peter starts. Salvation is the point of his sermon in Acts chapter 2. I mean, look what he says right here. In, In verse 38, he says, Repent, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Verse 39, he mentions God calling people to himself. Again, they're the called out ones. And then in verse 40, it says, And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. In other words, be called out. Receive salvation by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. Because listen, no gospel, no salvation. No gospel, no eternal life. No gospel, no church. So this is the gospel. God is a perfect and holy God, and every single one of us has sinned against him. We are this crooked generation that that Peter's talking about here, and the punishment that we deserve for our sins is eternity in a literal physical place called hell. But there's grace. Over 2,000 years ago, the very same holy God that we have sinned against sent his only son, Jesus Christ, to come to this earth, take on human flesh, and live the perfect life that you and I had no chance of ever living. And then he went to the cross where he would die the death that we deserve in our place and take the punishment for our sins on himself. And he was buried and rose from the dead three days later, forever defeating sin and death and offering salvation to you if you would just repent. That's that word Peter uses, repent, or turn from your sins and place your faith in Jesus Christ alone for salvation. That's the gospel. So let me ask you this morning, can you say, I have been saved by God's grace? I have placed my faith in Jesus Christ. I hope so. If not, I hope you'll choose to accept God's free gift of salvation today by repenting or turning from your sins and placing your faith in Jesus. And we would love to talk with you after the service about what that means. We would would love to have that conversation with you because eternity is literally at stake. But in the here and now, please hear me kindly and correctly when I say this. In the here and now, if you have not been saved by God's grace, biblically speaking, you're not part of his church. You haven't responded to the calling out of God. Let me follow that up by saying, if you haven't been saved by God's grace, we are so, so glad that you're here this morning. If you're here, we want to welcome you. We are so glad that you're here. We want to serve you any way we can. And you are so welcome here with all of your baggage, because let me just let you on an insider secret here. We all have baggage here. And so we are so thankful that you're here. And we want you to, to hang around and get to know God, because our ultimate goal is to connect you to God by salvation by grace, through faith in Jesus Christ. That's what we want to do here. We want to connect you so that you can become part of the church, the called out ones. But moving on, not only can healthy church members say, I have been saved by God's grace, they can also say, I have been baptized in Jesus' name. We're not going to spend a whole lot of time here, but, but right after Peter tells the crowd to repent and believe in Jesus, in verse 38, he tells them to be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ. Let me be really clear here. Baptism does not save you, but it is what saved people do. It's the first step of obedience in the Christian life. And here's, here's why it's important. And for starters, Jesus commanded it in Matthew 28. I'm just going to go on a limb here and say, if Jesus commanded it, it's probably should be good enough. Like that's where we should just start and we're, we're good there. But even more specifically and practically, why he commanded it is because Baptism is an outward public sign to the whole world of an inward reality that you have decided to follow Jesus and that you are identifying with Jesus and his people. 
is when you're, when you're being baptized, you're literally saying, I'm a called out one. I'm standing here and, I, and I'm being baptized and I'm, I'm a called out one. I'm committing to follow Jesus. I've been changed by Jesus. I'm, I'm going to follow him. I'm going to live with his people. And that's a decision that you have to make. Nobody can ever make that decision for you. But sometimes I think we overplay the decision for baptism in our minds because, and that causes us to hesitate and say things like, yeah, well, I, I, I just don't know. I don't, I don't think I'm ready to take that kind of a step yet. I don't, I don't know that I need to. I'm just, I'm not, I'm not there yet. But it really is this simple. If you're ready to follow Jesus, you're ready to be baptized. In fact, baptism is the first step of following Jesus. And so, so let me ask you, can you say, I've been baptized in Jesus' name? If not, let's help you take that first step of obedience to Jesus. Like, come talk to us. And if you've been saved and changed and you're ready to start following Jesus, we would love to fill the tank. We would love to help you take that step of obedience. Because healthy church members can say, I've been baptized in Jesus' name. And third, they can also say, I've been changed by the Holy Spirit. I've been changed by the Holy Spirit. At the end of verse 38, Peter says that if you have truly been saved by God's grace, you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And I can't think of any better word to describe that than the one that Peter uses here. It's a gift. There's nothing that you can do to earn the Holy Spirit. It's a gift, and what a gift it is. Listen, if you have been saved, you have God himself, the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, living in you to confirm your salvation and conform you to the image of Christ. In other words, to change you. And it's that change that takes place little by little for a lifetime that not only empowers you to live the Christian life, but it also allows other Christians who are watching you to, to take a look at your life and say, yeah, he's been changed. She's been changed. They're called out when I, I see it. I see the change that the Holy Spirit is making in their lives. So let me ask you the question. Can you say I've been changed by the Holy Spirit? Let me be really clear with that question. I'm not saying, have you conquered every sin in your life? Because goodness, none of us have, have done that. But the question is, has he changed you? Are you seeing growth in your life through the power of the Holy Spirit? Are you different than you used to be? So if the answer to those questions is no, then I would just encourage you to go back to question number one and really wrestle with your salvation. Because the reality is, is if the Holy Spirit hasn't changed you, Jesus hasn't saved you. But healthy church members can say that they've been saved by God's grace and baptized in Jesus' name and changed by the Holy Spirit. And when they can say all of that, then they can also say, number four, I have been located in one place. Been located in one place. In verse 41, Peter says, so those who received his word were baptized and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. And that's the birth of the church right there. We're watching it happen. We'll get into what the church does in just a minute, but, but first I want you to notice that there's, there's no gap, there's no separation, there's no geographical difference from the birth of the church in verse 41 to what the church starts doing in verse 42. These are Christians, the, the called out ones, and they're not just floating around unattached. They're, they're in Jerusalem, they're located in one place, they're committed to each other. They're doing life together in one place. Maybe you hear me say that and you're like, well, wait, 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 wait just a second, Andrew. I, I see what you're doing here. I, I see what you're doing. I, I know you're, you're talking about the local church, the little C church, but, but I know about this thing called the, called the big C church. And, and what about that? Because you could be part of the big C church and, and you, just, just, you just are. And so, so I'd, I'd, I'd rather just go that direction. Well, yes, the Bible does teach about the big C church, the bride of Christ, and that everyone who has ever been saved is a part of that. That's an automatic result of your salvation, 
But what it is not is it's not a practical replacement for committing yourself to a local body of believers, the local church. Because listen, if you're going to do what God's people do, you're going to have to be where God's people are. You're going to be around people. As it's been said, you've got to be in the room where it happens. Yes, the global church is taught as a doctrinal reality, but the local church is seen. It's in Acts chapter 2, it's a church that's in one place. Throughout the rest of the book of Acts, we see churches being planted in, in specific locations, one geographical location. Throughout the rest of the New Testament, we see Paul writing letters to churches that are located in one place. Then even in Revelations chapter 2 and 3, even Jesus addresses specific local churches in specific geographical places. So biblically speaking, churches are, are made up of called out ones who live in one place, and that brings us to something that we struggle with in our own immediate context. Because of where we are located geographically as a church in the, in the Baltimore, D.C., Annapolis area, we live in a highly transitory area. I think we all know that. We've seen people come, we've seen people go, we've seen people move, but that's where God has placed us, and that brings with it some unique challenges as a church. Because so many of the people who call this their church home or in the military or government employees, a lot of times they're, they're hesitant to, to commit themselves because they already know that in a, in a couple of years we're going to have to move again. We're going to have to move, we're going to pick up, we're going to pack all our stuff, we're going to have to go, go do this all over again. So I, so I don't want to really commit right now. To that I'll just say what the great missionary and martyr Jim Elliott said. He said, wherever you are, be all there. See, these people knew what it was like to be transitory too. People in Acts chapter 2. This isn't just us that are having to deal with this. The people in Acts chapter 2 knew what it meant to be a transitory people. Yes, they're in Jerusalem in Acts chapter 2, but in just a few chapters in Acts chapter 8 tells us that persecution comes and they were scattered all throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria. In other words, they were reassigned. They were moved to another base. They got scattered. And, and when, they, when they did that, then, then they had to recommit. Local churches were planted. That's what happened. Churches were, more churches were planted. The kingdom was advanced and people committed all over again. And so wherever you are, be all there. As Jim Elliott said, and I would add to that, be all there no matter how long you're there. Because not only is a church God's called out ones, our second reality this morning that I want us to see through the rest of chapter two is that a church is also God's called together ones. It's God's called together ones. Look back with me at verses 42 through 47. In Acts chapter 2, the text goes on and it describes the local church. And it says, it says, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many signs and wonders were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. So we've already answered the question of what is a church. And so now for the rest of these verses, we're going to answer the question, what do church members do? See, healthy church members have a few more statements they can make. It's, it's because healthy church members can say, I have been saved by God's grace and baptized in Jesus' name and, and changed by the Holy Spirit and located in, in one place. It's because they can say those things that then they can say, so I will make a few more commitments. It's because of who they are as called out ones that they can live as called together ones. 
You see it? It's because I am, so I will. It's in response to what God has done in their lives that then they make a few more commitments for their lives. And so let's take a look at those four commitments in, 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 a, in, a, in, the, in the strategy of, of, again, four more statements that healthy church members can make. Four more statements. So again, first, healthy church members can say, so I will receive godly shepherding for the sake of my soul. I'll receive godly shepherding for the sake of my soul. At the, at the beginning of verse 42, it says, the first church members devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. That requires a little bit of explanation for us because if we, if we just take that at face value, we're going to miss the point here. What it seems like it's saying to us as we read the beginning of verse 42 is that, well, you know, they, they just, they showed up every week. They, they listened to the Sunday sermon and, and they did, they, they were there. That's probably what we wanted to say. And yes, the preaching of God's word certainly is included in what it's talking about here, but it's actually much deeper than that. It's not the word for preaching that's used here, though that's included. It's actually the word for teaching. It's the Greek word didasko. And even then, it's not saying that they had an awesome adult Sunday school program going on where people were learning lots of stuff. Though again, that kind of teaching would be included in what it's talking about here. What it's really getting at in this verse is, is that the entire purpose of what pastors and elders do is that they shepherd other people through the application of God's word to every person under their care in every situation of their lives. That's what it's talking about. It's mentioning the apostles here, but as the the church was established and it grew and it spread and churches were planted, they transitioned church leadership to local church elders. Later on in Acts in chapter 14, it says they appointed elders for them in every church in every town. So what is an elder? An elder is, a, is a, a godly man who meets the biblical qualifications in 1 Timothy 3 and Titus chapter 1 that has surrendered his life to shepherding God's people according to God's word. Because as Hebrews tells us, those elders one day will stand before God and give an account for what they have done as, as elders. They will give an account for the souls that they've shepherded. So in other words, everything pastors and elders do from preaching to teaching to counseling to conversing to decision making, everything they do is to be informed by and infused with God's word for the sake of the souls they shepherd. That's their job. It's not to make things up as they go along. It's not to to come up with their best ideas and to see what happens. It's to apply God's word to God's people for the sake of those people's souls. The question is, will you receive godly shepherding for the sake of your soul? It's an important question for us because in our culture, we don't want people speaking into our lives. We don't want people pointing out areas where where we're being unwise or we need to grow. We we don't want people counseling us on how to live as husbands and wives and and wives and and, and mothers and daughters and bosses and employees and neighbors. We We don't want people digging into our lives like that. We want pastors and elders to be a blend of, of somewhere between motivational speaker and, and, and spiritual cruise director and, and maybe adequate enough CEO to keep the lights on at church who will then come do weddings and funerals when we need them to, but we for sure don't want them meddling in our lives. But the pattern of scripture is that pastors and elders are to be shepherds who not only encourage you, but are also bold enough and honest enough to tell you what you need to hear even when you don't want to hear it. So the question is, will you be humble enough to receive and even pursue godly shepherding for the sake of your soul? Healthy church members commit to receiving godly shepherding, but, but second, they also say, so I will engage in meaningful community for the benefit of others. It's not just about me, it's about others as well. So I will engage in meaningful community for the sake of others. 
I was listening to a a podcast interview recently with the pastor of an underground Chinese house church in in a persecuted country, which was really fascinating. It was on the topic of church membership is fascinating because one of the main objections you'll hear to the idea of church membership is, well, that's just a that's just a Western American idea. That's that's it's really not a, a thing. And so the this Chinese house church pastor's response to that really struck me. He he said. No, church membership is, is not a Western idea. Individualism is a Western idea. It's the opposite. Church membership is, and the idea of meaningful community is inherently biblical, and he's right. See, the process, the outflowing of church membership might look very different depending on where you are in different parts of the world. Like, for instance, if, if a Chinese house church kept, kept the, the lists and, and documents and stuff that, that we do in our context, it would probably get somebody killed in their context. But if we did things the way they did in our context where we're busier and have things going on, we would probably lose some people. So it's not about, about the, the process of church membership. It's about the picture of church membership, which is always the same. It's that people who are called out and called together by God are engaging in mu- meaningful community for the benefit of others. In the end of verse 42, we see the first church members devoted themselves to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And then in verses 44 through 46, we see them giving generously and caring for one another. And what that tells me is that, that engaging in meaningful community for the benefit of others means that you're, you're caring for the people around you both spiritually and physically. It's spiritual and physical. And so let's break that down a little further. Let's start with caring for people around you spiritually. Obviously, verse 42 mentions prayer, and it's not to discount prayer, but that's pretty self-explanatory. I think we we get the point that we should be praying for one another. We we understand that. But spiritual care also involves speaking into other people's lives in both positive and sometimes seemingly negative situations. That means we've got to be engaged in other people's lives. We've got to be with people and be personally involved in their lives. And so on the positive side, we have a passage like Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 and 25, which says, and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, that's a bad example, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. What that means is that we're to be building relationships for the sake of pushing people in their relationship with Christ, to come together and encourage them towards growth and to continue pursuing Christ. But then on what seems like the negative side of, of, of this spiritual care aspect, we have a passage like Matthew 18. Now, for many of you, you hear me say, say the word Matthew 18, and, and you're like, that's the church discipline passage. But here's the thing. The word discipline is not mentioned in, in Matthew 18. That is not the goal of Matthew 18. It's never the goal of Matthew 18. The goal of Matthew 18 is Restoration. The point is that if someone in your church, someone that's near you has fallen into unrepentant sin, you are to do everything that you possibly can to throw them a life ring and pull them back towards repentance and reconciliation, both in their relationship to God and the relationship with people around them. And that's a good thing. I want that. I need that. If you ask me the question of what's the point of church membership, the bottom line that I will tell you is that if you go off the deep end and walk away from Christ, you need someone who's going to come after you and try to pull you back. That's the point of church membership. So when it comes to caring for the people around you, that's spiritual. What about physical? I'll just say this. We are both spiritual and physical people who have both spiritual and physical needs. 
Because the church is God's called together ones, healthy church members give generously when physical needs arise, not out of guilt, not because of, I've signed on the dotted line, I've got to do some things now, but out of, out of a gut reaction of, I love these people. This is who I've committed to, to following Christ with. They serve one another and they work for Christ. And they understand that their time, their talents and treasures aren't their own, but they belong to Christ. So they live as good stewards as, as Dan talked about last week. They're together and they genuinely care. That's meaningful community. So the question then is, have you committed yourself to engaging in meaningful community for the benefit of others? Will you commit yourself to both giving and receiving spiritual care laterally? Will you give yourself to both giving and receiving physical care laterally? It'll require humility, boldness, and generosity, but that's what healthy church members do. And then third, they say, I will participate in all field worship for the glory of God. I will participate in all field worship for the glory of God. Weaving throughout these verses, we're, we're told that the early church was in awe of what they saw happening. And they went to the temple together and they praised God for all of it. In other words, they participated in all field worship for the glory of God. Because listen, everyone worships something. Usually what we worship is, is whatever happens to capture our heart at the moment. And that can literally be anything. But here's the thing. Everything this world has to offer falls short of the glory of God. Nothing this world has to offer is worth your worship. But when you get a glimpse of God at work in the lives of his people, you will be in awe of what he does and how he works. And that will change your appetite for worship from, from whatever substitute you prefer to the glory of God alone. But whatever, like we said before, you've got to be in the room where it happens. You've got to be with God's people and participate in, in all-filled worship for the glory of God because worship fuels worship, which fuels more worship, which fuels more worship. So will you commit yourself to that? Because I hope so, because it's worth it. I know Nate would love it if I would say a few more things about worship, but for the sake of time, we're going to move on because the last statement that healthy church members make is this. I will live with evangelistic purpose for the advance of the gospel. That I will live with evangelistic purpose for the sake of the gospel. At the end of this passage, in the second half of verse 47, it says, they were having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. In other words, these people did not turn inward and build a bunker for themselves to just exist and self-exist self on their own. They didn't just stay inside, cross their fingers, and hope some more people wandered in the door at some point. No, they, they lived to share the good news of Jesus with everyone around them. One commentator put it this way, they displayed an attractive faith for the purpose of daily evangelism. And we see that not only in the, on the pages of Scripture here at the end of verse 47, but we also see it on the pages of history. One Roman emperor who tried to put a stop to the spread of Christianity in those early days said that the reason for Christianity's growth was because of the Christians' charity to the poor. He said that these impious Galileans not only feed their own poor, but they feed ours as well, welcoming them to their love, and they attract them as children are attracted to cakes. They displayed an attractive faith, but they didn't stop there. They didn't just do good works for the sake of good works. They did it for the purpose of daily evangelism because that's the responsibility of every healthy church member. That's the commission that we were given by Jesus in Matthew 28. And I know it totally freaks us out and, and scares us to death, but it's really not as hard as we make it out to be. 
Like I, I get nervous as an introvert talking about evangelism, but it's really not as hard as we make it out to be in our minds. Like here's all evangelism is. You ready for it? Here's all it is. It's introducing people to Jesus. That's it. That's it. It's taking people who are close to you, but are far from God, and then connecting the two. And we see that in John chapter four with the woman at the well. Like, I love this. This is, this is so simple that even I as an introvert can do it. In John chapter four, Jesus meets this woman at the well in the middle of the day. And let's just say she had quite the history. We'll just leave it at that. We'll keep it appropriate. She had, she had quite the history, but, but she encounters Jesus. She gets saved the first thing she does then is she runs back into tell, the town to tell everyone that she knows what just happened. John 4 says that she, she runs back into the town and she says, come and see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? In other words, listen to this. All she said was, I have met the master. Won't you come and meet him too? That's all she did. And they did. And so, so it says many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of this woman's testimony. So friends, you can do that. If you can say, I have been saved by God's grace and I have been changed by the Holy Spirit, then for sure you can say, I have met the master. Won't you come and meet him too? And not only can you, but you're called to. Just be faithful and leave the results to God. That's what healthy church members do. They live with evangelistic purpose for the advance of the gospel. But where does all this leave us? Where do we go from here well, I think some of the, one of the most effective ways to, to grow in anything is to watch and learn from the successes and failures of those who have gone before us. And that's the opportunity that Scripture gives us when it comes to the idea of church membership, because Scripture shows us both the, the good and the bad of local church life. And God's Word does not gloss over the, the, uh, the things that shouldn't be the way they are. It doesn't, it doesn't just delete that. It tells us the whole story. Just read through some of Paul's letters. Read through Galatians and you'll find a church in Galatia who had allowed false teachers to creep in and they needed to be confronted. Read 1 Corinthians and you'll find a church in Corinth who had all kinds of crazy stuff going on. Even in a place like a mostly encouraging letter like Philippians, you'll find two ladies in the church in Philippi named Yodia and Syntyche, sisters in Christ, fellow church members in Philippi that, that for whatever reason just couldn't get along. But what scripture teaches us is that when things go wrong in the life of the church, Healthy church members lean in, not run away. Healthy church members step up, not step away when they, when they don't like something because they have committed themselves to living as those who have been called out and called together by God himself. And we see those commitments right here in Acts chapter 2 as the church was born. These people in Acts chapter 2, they got it right. And they're an example for us to follow. And so what are your next steps? Well, if you're here this morning and you've never responded to your, or never repented of your sins and placed your faith in Jesus for salvation, like Peter called the people to do in Acts chapter two, what are you waiting for? This is your next step and your first step into the Christian life. And there is no better time now than to take that step. As Peter says in Acts chapter two, save yourselves from this crooked generation, run to Jesus and be saved. And we would love to talk with you after the service about what that would look like in your life, what the gospel means for you. If you can say, I've been saved, but I've never made the decision to take that next step of obedience by following the Lord and believers baptism, that's your next step. Come talk to us. We would love to help you take that step. And let me just say, it's not weird if you're an adult and you haven't been baptized. Like, that's awesome, actually. 
That's awesome when as an adult, you're like, I'm going to surrender myself to Jesus. I'm going to follow him. I'm going to take this step of obedience. So don't hesitate. Just follow Jesus. Maybe you're here this morning, and if you're honest with yourself, you know you're on the fringes of, of, of church life, of community with other believers. You're hovering around, but you're, you're not really here. You come and go, and you do love Jesus. I'm not doubting that, but, but you're not all that interested in hanging around his bride. For whatever reason, you're holding back, and if you, if you make it to church on Sunday morning, it's only because you didn't already have plans, or it's because you didn't oversleep. And if that's you, my intent is not to point the finger at you and say, get your act together. But for your own benefit, I, want, I do want to reach out and say, come on, let's get after this together. Let's follow Jesus together as God intended it. Because being here and leaning in and pursuing Jesus by taking that next step towards healthy church membership, not in name only, but in, in practice as we see it in scripture, that's the best thing you could possibly do for your own discipleship and my discipleship and your family's discipleship and all of our discipleship. And lucky for you, our next step two class is next Sunday. So we would love to connect. We would love to invite you. And we would love to get you plugged into that next Sunday after church. Church members, I've got a question for you too. I just ask you one question. Are you here with your heart or just your feet? Thank you to so many of you who model so well what it looks like to be healthy church members who give and love and serve and grow. Like that is such an encouragement and an awesome thing to watch. But be careful. Because your heart can drift faster than you could ever realize. And before you know it, you can find yourself just going through the motions and, and spinning the tires on your own spiritual discipleship. And if you ever want to know whether or not your heart has drifted like that, the, the fastest way to do that is to, to, to figure that out is to ask yourself one diagnostic question. Whether you're a church member or a church leader or whoever you are this morning, ask yourself the question, do I view my involvement at church as, a, as an opportunity for my growth? or an obligation for my grumbling? Is it an opportunity to grow or is it an opportunity to grumble? And so the answer to that question will be so revealing for you. And if you've lost your love for the bride of Christ, the church, do whatever it takes to rekindle that love for the sake of your own soul and for the benefit of others and for the glory of God and for the advance of his gospel because membership matters. Friends, we have not only been called out by God, we have not only been saved by God, we've also been called together. And so let's live in light of that reality. Let's make the commitment to, to pursue Christ together. Let me pray for us as the worship team comes. Father, thank you for your church, the gift that it is. Thank you that in our brokenness, you died for us to save us, to redeem us, then to sanctify us and to put us in community with brothers and sisters in you. What a privilege that is that we do not deserve. None of us deserve that. And so we, first of all, we praise you and we thank you for that. We ask this morning, if there's anyone here that, that doesn't know you as, as their personal Lord and Savior, Father, would you draw them to yourself? Don't let them leave here today without knowing where they stand with you. Help them to realize that they have been called out. So take that step. Let's respond to the gospel and let's pursue Christ. Father, I also pray for those of us who are here, and if we're honest with ourselves, maybe on the fringes. The church is a, a fit-in on the schedule. Biblical community is a fit-in on the schedule wherever we can plug the hole. And, and Father, just help us to understand that it's the best thing we could do for our discipleship. Not just 
cognitively, not just something that we, we, we acknowledge, Father, but help us to, to taste and see that you are good as we take the steps into church membership and, and, and take the step into biblical community where we see growth, we see you work, we're all filled and we worship you and it fuels our own growth and it fuels our worship and it fuels the gospel. Father, help us there. And Father, also for those of us that do call Harvest our home, help us to always do everything in service to you and in community and and in every aspect of our discipleship. Help us to do it with the right heart. Help us to not be grumbling or doing things out of obligation, Father, but as as people who have been redeemed by you and in response to what you've done in our lives, help us to be people who will live for you and make commitments for our own souls, for the benefit of others, for the glory of your name and for the advance of your gospel. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.